So, um, yeah. So, we're praying for revival, right? We hear that word often, right? And, and, and I think we have a certain perception of what revival looks like, right? It looks like, you know, good meetings, great music, whatever it is. That's just a byproduct of revival. Revival is chaotic. If you read through the book of Acts when the disciples hit the new town, it was like we talk about Paul's life, right? It was, I mean, there were riots breaking out. There was statues that were being overturned. It was this crazy, just this crazy journey that, that, that went. And, and, and we're praying. We have a, a, a measure of the presence of God, but we're praying, Jesus, visit us again. Visit us. Turn us upside down. And I want to tell you, revival is not neat. It's not, it's not, like we almost have, oh, I had in the beginning when I first got saved, almost like the Santa Claus type of, type of, type of Jesus, where he comes to town once a year, he drops the gifts off, you know, and then he like kind of wipes the soot off, soot off of his, and then he leaves, and he like, see, see you next year, Jesus, that type of thing. That's not who he is. That's not who he is, folks. And I'm going to show you in scripture what it looks like, message title, when Jesus comes to town. Now realize that I'm saying when Jesus comes to town, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So he still visits places. When we say to him, Jesus, come into my heart, he comes and visits that heart and radically changes it if it's a true visitation. When Jesus comes, if you look through Christian history, right, when Jesus comes into a town with his manifest presence, the town is, is, is shaken, I mean, upside down. If you want to look at, 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 at one of those testimonies, there was a small town in South America called Amalanga about the size of Mastic Beach. And, and witchcraft and drunkenness and lust and et cetera, et cetera, was prominent in this town. And Jesus visited the town. The jails closed down. There was no more prisons. There was no more crime. People were sick. I mean, the least of society, I don't even like to say that, but the people that we kind of want to push aside in society and say we want to just get rid of these people, whatever they are, they tend to change in every generation. They were being saved and radically transformed and turned into evangelists and pastors and men and women of God, good parents, godly parents, whatever the case may be. So the point I'm trying to make is that revival is chaotic, folks. Revival is chaotic. And when Jesus, when you say, Jesus, come and visit my life again, how many of you know he turns everything upside down? If your life is being, if you came to this altar or some altar six months ago, a year ago, and your life now is, it's almost like he gives you that honeymoon phase. You get saved, right? You get filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's that honeymoon. Jesus is like the, like, it's, it's all about Jesus, and the songs are wonderful, and all this stuff. And about six months, eight months, a year down the, down the line, then you find out that there is a devil. Am I right? And things in your life start to be turned upside down. That is because he has taken you to a new place. He's taken you to a new place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through a lot of scripture today. Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to be in the Gospels the whole time, so we're going to run to about five, six different places. Matthew chapter 21. Starting at verse 10, uh, says this. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple, temple of God, and drove out all, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. 
And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. How many want a visitation of Jesus like that? Where he comes into your house, your heart, your temple, your wherever you gather and he turns. I mean, talk about, none of us pray for that, right? Jesus, don't turn my tables over. Now, these are physical tables in this, but a lot of times it's our lives. It's the, our hearts. What we thought was, what I thought was important 10 years ago is not important anymore. My vision now is what is important in heaven, right? It's not this stuff on earth because, folks, you could leave today. I could leave today. I'm very aware of that, that today could be the day I take my last breath, and I'm in his presence, and then does that account? The words that I spoke, they're going to be accounted for, and that's scary. Right? What I did with the gospel or didn't do with the gospel, I believe that's going to be accounted for. That's why I said, Lord, I'm doing this thing 100%. Or I'm not doing it at all. So if you feel like the, the, the tables of your life are being turned over, you're, you're in a good place. You're in a good place because he will turn the tables over. He will, he will make sure nothing works out so you have to depend on him and him alone because we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by sight anymore. We can't just go out and just figure everything out. He wants us to walk with him. He does the supernatural. He does the things we can't do. He puts us in positions like the children of Israel. They were red, led to the Red Sea, and they said, okay, now what? Out, the enemies are all around us. We can't get through this sea. We're done. And at that point, he parts the sea, and they go through. He is the God of the supernatural. But many times, our tables have to be overturned. To see the supernatural done. So I want to encourage you with this. If your life is being flipped upside down and you're here and saying, I, I don't know what is going on. I joined this thing. I thought, you know, it was going to be like, again, like the Santa Claus type of thing where he drops stuff off whenever I need it. It is not that, folks. It's radical. It's radical. Go to the book of Acts. I believe scripture is the same. You might not. I believe we are, we are called to be like the book of Acts. Now, now, I'm not seeing that right now, so I'm hungry for more. But as I'm hungry for more, you know what he does? He turns my tables upside down and says, right, we, me and Andrew were talking about this yesterday, the pruning. He just starts cutting things out of your life, things that you thought were good. We've been praying down there because we're, as you guys are, growing out of our building. We've been praying for a bigger building. We need a bigger building, period. But he was showing me recently, is your God the bigger building or am I your God? And it's kind of like, I guess the God was my bigger building. So he just cut that. Not that he won't go give us or you a bigger space to meet in, but folks, he, he's, a, he's a gardener. Things look good sometimes. Sometimes the branch is like half alive, half dead, and he's like, oh, that's not good. I don't want that. And it hurts. But when he comes to town, the tables are turned upside down. Tables are turned upside down. So what was going on in this temple? It was really complacent religion. It was like I come in this place Sunday, you know, I, I give, give a few bucks, whatever it is. I'm like kind of half in, half out type of thing. This generation, folks, I want to tell you, he is not going to allow you to be half in, half out. I came to a place that I had to cast myself into his arms. Many of you know that thing we have in our bathroom. We sit on the toilet and look at the footprints thing, right, of like, the, right, the one set of footprints. That's what he wants from us. Where you cast yourself into his arms and say, live or die, Lord, I am yours. Whatever that looks like, whatever you, whatever you say success is, that's what success is. 
Another thing I've had to, that have really been turned upside down, and me and Andrew were talking about this yesterday, we have this certain perception of, like, success and people's opinions. You know, if every chair is full, we're successful. If only one person shows up, we're not successful. That is not the, the, his mindset. He says, I leave the 99, and I go down to Handy Pantry, and I find the one person that is suicidal. That's success in this kingdom. Because each person, each person sitting here, doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what your rap sheet is, what your past is, none of that matters. Roll out the rap sheet. He will clean the whole thing with his blood. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you not hear what these things that he is saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So just put yourself back there in this scene. Jesus shows up in this town, starts turning tables upside down, right? This whole scene. Get out of the temple. This is complacent. It's halfway religion. Out of the temple. Out of the temple. I want, I want this place to be a house of prayer. And when you start praying, God starts moving. God does, God does it all, right? People start getting healed. So people are getting healed. The, the blind and the lame and those that are on the outskirts are coming to him, right? And then the, the, the religious leaders show up and say, hey, 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 we don't like this. What's going on here? Like, where is this in Scripture? And he starts to open this. He starts to reveal the Scripture and says, have you not heard? Have you not heard? So where Jesus is, the Scriptures are not just studied, not just learned, revealed. Revealed. Meaning that the Scripture goes into your heart and it comes alive and you say, well, I, I never saw it like that before. I never saw it like that before. The Holy Spirit is the author of these Scriptures. When, when you say, Holy Spirit, teach me, he will breathe these scriptures into your heart where they're not just letter, they're life. They're life. Like, like, like Pastor Crystal was saying, hearing from him. Folks, it's not just learning stuff and regurgitating stuff and saying, praise the Lord, brother, God is good. It, that's not it. Do that, all right? That's good. But asking for revelation of the scriptures. Revelation. Lord, what do you, he, the Holy, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and show you things to come. Show you things to come, not just in Egypt or Africa or, or, or whatever it is. No, in your life, in your children's life. He will show you things to come. Your child is an evangelist. Your daughter's going to run an orphanage, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus comes to town. And Jesus comes to town. you want radical change in your life, maybe this is the day where you say, I'm all in. Many of you know, I know I think probably half of you here. I was dying a few months ago. And you can go on Facebook and see the pictures. I was 135 pounds. 135 pounds. My esophagus was closed. Closed to the point of when I was in the hospital, not even liquid would go down. So I was on time. I was on borrowed time. The bones are sticking out of my face. You can see the pictures. 
my esophagus was closed. You don't think that I would go home, I'd be preaching about the goodness of God and telling people on Monday nights how good God is and how God could take care of them and lead them and guide them, et cetera, et cetera. You don't think I was going home and saying, Lord, my life, what is going on? What's going on? I'm telling people how good you are, how faithful you are, and I'm watching myself die in the mirror. And I'm thinking about my wife at 33 becoming a widow. And then what? My life was turned upside down. But I'm standing here looking back in hindsight and saying, God has been faithful to me. God has been good to me. As much as I didn't understand in that time what was going on, I understand now. I understand now my pride had to be broken. A lot of things that weren't like Christ, he started to just trim away at. He even showed me in the hospital. I was facing death. They didn't want to do the surgery. And I said, Lord, live or die. I, I win either way. If I die, I win, because to be absent from this shell, from this body, to be present with him. If, if I stay here, I win, because I serve you. So whatever it is. And then he ended up healing me through a surgeon. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. It's not... It's not easy following Jesus, folks. It's hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But I want to tell you, it's the most glorious thing you'll ever do. What we've seen God do in this community, incredible. Incredible. The people that I've seen him, that I've seen come to tears and save are people that psychiatry and even the prison system have given up on and saying, you will never be a productive member of society. You are too violent. You're too addicted. You're too insane. You will never be a productive member of society. And guess what? Jesus overrides all that. He overrides all that. He says, I will do whatever I feel like doing. And guess what? He enjoys in taking the, the cases that no one can fix and saying, watch what I do with this one. This is going to be my trophy. Luke chapter 18. Starting at verse 35. Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him, Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So... What's going on in this guy's life? Very practical. What's happened in this guy's life? He's a blind beggar on the side of the road, right? It's like he's just there. He's there. For, most likely for many years he's sitting there, right? He makes his money off people throwing coins or whatever it was at that time into, the, into his, his little bucket. But he hears something. What does he hear? Jesus is passing by. This Jesus is passing by. I don't know what he knew or didn't know about Jesus, right? But he knew I have to get to this guy. This is like my only hope. And if you are sitting here today and you feel, and you know what? We could put on the makeup and the facade and the nice clothes and come Sunday morning and have that shell where it's like we have it all together. Folks, I know a lot of you don't feel that way. Inside you're broken. You're hurting. Lord, is this ever going to change? My children, my grandchildren, my, there's a lot of suffering in this generation, guys. And God is not, he's not this God that sits away from suffering. He gets in the midst of the suffering and the, the, the I mean, what do you, why the swaddling clothes? Why, why the manger? 
Why not just come into a palace and say, here I am, the Messiah. No, he goes into a manger where animals poop. Right? And then, he, and then he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is what? Old rags, discarded rags. What is the statement he's making through coming like that, choosing that way? I get down into the, into the, 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 the suffering, the un, all the unclean. I get down. He's a God that lowers himself. The guy that low, he gets down into the mess. Not afraid of your mess. Not afraid of your mess. You could bring it all to him. You could let the tears flow. Prayer, tears are prayers too. Some of the most profound prayer is just tears. When you come to the place like Hannah where, I don't know what to say anymore, God. I don't know what to say anymore, God. Here's just a groan with some tears. And I, I hope that you would accept that as prayer. And you want to know what? That's profound prayer. Profound prayer. So Jesus is passing by. So what does this guy do? Verse, verse 38. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned, warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So what's happening? This guy gets to the point where he doesn't, it, it's, when Jesus comes to town, unreserved, unrestrained prayer goes forth. Unrestrained prayer. Where it's like, I don't care what anybody around me thinks of me. I need to get to Jesus. If I don't get to Jesus, my life is going to be like this forever. I'm blind. I'm poor. I'm destitute. I'm marginalized. I have no company. I'm lonely. Jesus is passing by, and guess what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying until he stops for me and visits right where I'm at. And visits right where I'm at. Prayer sometimes, again, when Jesus comes to town, prayer is unrestrained. doesn't have to be eloquent, theologically correct. It could be just, Jesus, Jesus, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by, Jesus. The doctors gave up. My husband gave up. My family gave up. The government gave up on me. Jesus, please help me. Are you there? Are you there? If not, maybe we need to get there. Unrestrained prayer. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care how ridiculous I sound. That's where he was at because they tried to quiet him. They said, shh, 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 don't, don't bother Jesus. And he just kept crying out on the side of the road. Jesus, help me. Don't leave me like this. Don't leave me in this position, Jesus, please. I see in Scripture, whenever God wants to do something mighty in a place, he creates a cry. He, create, he, he, he waits and he waits, like the children of Israel, 400 years. He waited while they were in slavery. He waited, and he waited, and he made, he made Pharaoh, this, this, was taking away their stuff and saying, build more, but we'll give you less. And what does the scripture say? A cry was created. And then it says, he heard their cry. So if your heart today, if you're sitting here, and your heart is crying out, even though you, have every, you seem to have it all together on the outside, but your heart is screaming, Jesus, help me, let it be vocal. Vocalize it. I don't, who cares what anybody thinks? Who cares what anybody thinks? When I was sick, I heard my wife. She would lock herself in the boiler room. I was dying, folks. And she, would, she got to the point where she, she would lock herself in the boiler room, and I would just hear her crying every morning, not even saying anything, just this, like, weeping, wailing type of thing. Not caring what the landlord thinks, not caring what I think, not caring what anybody. You know, there's not too many people there, right? But she didn't care, she didn't care anymore. 
She didn't care. Let me sound insane. She didn't care anymore. I need to get to Jesus. There's no other hope. I need to get to Jesus. When Jesus comes to town, unrestrained, unreserved, prayer starts taking place. Who cares what people think? Who cares what people think? So Jesus, verse 40, stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. He got to Jesus. He got to, if you want to get to Jesus, maybe you need to really start crying out. I know your pastors don't care if there's some unrestrained, unreserved prayer in this place, folks. We need Jesus in Mastic Beach. We need Jesus on Puspatuck Reservation. We need Jesus in Shirley. Jesus in Mastic. We need Jesus in North Bellport, folks. In Gordon Heights. We need Jesus. I got saved through a brother overdosed on heroin. That's how I got saved. I walked into the church. My heart was, my heart was screaming, and I wanted answers. And he's still answering those questions. The amount of addiction and, and, and violence that we see these days, it's unbelievable. Guys, we have to not care what anybody thinks anymore and start to cry out, Jesus, visit us. Turn the tables over. Do whatever you have to do because it's not about me. Not about my image. It's not about, it's not about, it's about him and it's about eternity. We're losing a generation of fathers and mothers and entrepreneurs. And when are we going to rise up and say no more and get his fine? And say no more. I'm going to pray until Jesus comes and does whatever he wants to do to save this generation. Luke chapter 19. Uh, next page. Yeah. So Jesus is, again, moving through town, right? And he sees this guy in a tree. And he says, hey, you, come down from there. And it, it sounds funny, but a lot of you, someone invited you to church. It's kind of the same thing, right? Come and, come and meet this Jesus. Well, Jesus actually, no, let me, let, me, let me correct that. Jesus used that person to invite you and say, hey, come down from there. Come to this place so you can, you can, you can experience my presence. You can hear about me. This man was a tax collector. Tax collectors weren't known as the most honest people, right? He was a crook. That's really, in, in Scripture, a lot of the tax collectors are like, you sit with a tax collector? They're crooks. Go and sit with them. Jesus calls this man down and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house tonight. I want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus, and watch what happens when Jesus comes to town. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and come down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be with a guest. He has gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. Then Zacchaeus, this, this, is, this is my point. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. When Jesus comes to town, people become transparent. People become transparent. 
There's no more of that stuff in the closet anymore that, like, you can't bring into the house of God. You bring it all. God, this is what it is. I'm stuck in this sinful relationship. I'm stuck in this habit, this practice, and I'm stuck. And I'm stuck. And that blood will cause you not to be stuck. But you have to be transparent with him. Lord, I'm, I'm addicted. I'm struggling. I'm, I, whatever it is. Transparency. This guy said, I, I, I've been a crook. I will, receive, I will restore fourfold to the people who I have robbed from. Jesus came to this man's house. You can be transparent with him, folks. If this is not, see, I, when I got saved, I had this certain perception of God. Of like, again, he's like kind of up there. And if I, if I say a full-letter word, like lightning is definitely going to come down. Right? If I were to like accidentally knock over a statue or put like an ashtray on the Bible, like my house is going to be struck with lightning. And it's kind of like the things we think when we're young, right? It's not that way. He is a God that you can come into his presence and you can lay it all before him and say, this is what it is. I'm a womanizer. I'm a liar. I have secret things I'm doing on, on the computer that no one sees. My spouse doesn't see. I don't. Maybe people here do. And he wants to set you free from those things. But the point is, it's transparency. Transparency. Lord, my heart is broken, you know. That, that thing back in childhood that happened or that relationship or whatever it is, my heart is broken. You can lay it out before him, and, and right? You can lay it all out. This is what it is. It's how I feel. Prayer is not repetition. Prayer is not some, like, pie-in-the-sky thing. It's just, Lord... My heart's broken. I'm scared. I'm fearful. At this point, I really don't want to follow you. Have you ever prayed that? I have. Like Elijah, right? He gets to a point. He goes into a cave and says, okay, take my life. I'm done. I'm so thankful that that's in Scripture. Aren't, if you know Scriptures, aren't you? So thankful that you can get to a point where you say, I don't know. I don't know. Like Gethsemane. If you could take this cup. If there's any other way you could do this, Father, any other way, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If you want resurrection, surrender. Right? If you want resurrection power in your life, first comes surrender, transparency. Another thing that happens in this, in this meeting, Jesus walks into this man's house. Again, when you invite Jesus to come into your house, he is going to change things radically. He doesn't leave things the same, folks. Never. You know, it's almost like we get to a point where, like, this is good enough. We set up this tent, and we have, like, our, 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 like, our thing. Our, like, this is what I worship. This is what I do. And you know, he comes, and he just flips that thing over and says, no, 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 no. We're going further. We're going to the other side. Are you ready for the other side? But he flips the table over first. Let him do it. What matters here anyway? If you really believe that heaven is our home and that hell is real, as I do, as the scripture says, what matters here? What matters here? Besides the gospel, besides loving one, besides the salvation of the lost. I have this picture of, it's not, not in scripture necessarily, but I like have this opinion, it's only my opinion, this picture of heaven of like, you get there and there's all these people waiting for you. Of like, yeah, you, you know, you gave me a sandwich and that was kind of the seed that was so, or you preached the gospel or you gave to this orphanage in Haiti. And because of that, like all these children, are, I want that. Forget all this other stuff. This stuff is going to burn one day. Now, if you have blessings, enjoy them. I'm not saying, that give, you know, enjoy your blessings, but it's not about the blessings. 
When Jesus comes to town, generosity goes forward. See what he said? I'm going to give my stuff to the poor. Now, that seems like a foolish, ridiculous thing to do, especially in this day and age. But when Jesus comes to town, the poor start to be fed because his heart is for the poor. His heart is for everybody. But if you read through Scripture, there's something with the poor and the broken and the destitute and those that are marginalized. It's something. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was sick, and you came to me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I, I'm a little off. I had clothing, and you, get, you gave me clothing. It's the only place in Scripture I can find that he says this. Whatever you do to that person directly, you do to me. You do to me. Something with the poor. When Jesus came to this man's house, this man said, I'm going to give half my stuff to the poor. It was a working of the heart. I'm not telling you to go out and do that. Jesus did something in this man's heart where he gave, he gave a lot of his stuff away. But the point is, when he comes to town, the poor start to be reached out to. Mark chapter 8. Andrew said, uh, Pastor Andrew said 35, 40 minutes. I don't know if we're going <laughs> to bear with me. <laughs> Mark chapter 8. Starting at verse 22. Then he came to Bersada, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly, folks. Listen to this. If this offends you, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. This man was touched twice, right? Jesus is not in a power shortage. He's not in a power shortage. There's a reason that he did this. And I feel that the reason is this. The first time that he touched him, he said, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. And I heard someone preach, and, and, and I really do feel like the Lord spoke this to that man and then, like, really buried this into my heart. What are trees used for? Trees are used to make paper, make money, to build stuff, to just put buildings, right? And it was almost like I see men as something to use for my own agenda. I see people, but the people are for my agenda. So I can look famous, good, super religious, whatever it is. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want to touch you again. And when I touch you the second time, look at what he said. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. We have these lenses that we look through. And it's because of our culture, our politics, our upbringing, our whatever we have. We all have jaded views. Even myself, I find the Lord continuously touching my eyes and saying, look again. Look again. I want to tell you something. Prime minister to prostitute, the ground is level at the cross. It's level at the cross. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what realm of society you're in, what education you have, GED, no GED, PhD, whatever it is. We need to see people clearly where you stand in front of each person and you say, I can see you as Jesus sees you. 
as Jesus sees you, not as society sees you, not as Fox or CNN. We all have these lenses. We need to be touched again. And we say, I see people. I see in front of me, it doesn't matter the status. I see a person that Jesus died for. Listen to the scripture. While we were yet sinners, he what? He died for us. He died for us. That means you and you and each person, each child, were valuable enough for him to die for. Would you die for an, an enemy? I don't think most of us would die for friends. I was an enemy, and he says, I'll go to the cross, I'll pay the price, so you can go free and have new life. But that's not just me. That's each person that's sitting here. It's every person that you go, and you, you're online in Handy Pantry, and people can be just crazy, you know, there's road rage, and it's just, it's just a crazy time to live. But you have to remember, each person that speeds around you, and each person that cuts you in line, and is kind to you, Jesus died for that person. So it's like, I want to see that person as valuable, as valuable enough for Jesus to go to a cross for and say, I'll pay the penalty. I'll pay the penalty. I want to see clear because we could be jaded by all these different, all this stuff that we have these certain lenses. I want to see him through God's lens and say, you know what? You're valuable to me. If I have a sandwich, you're, wor you're worth half of it or the whole thing. Right? It's not like that, that whole thing of like I, I hoard up my stuff so I can be good and let everybody else just fend for themselves. That's not Christianity. Christianity is you put others before yourself. I know that sounds crazy. He lowered himself. He came to earth. He became nothing. He became of no reputation, of no reputation so you could be saved and, and set free and set on high. That's so opposite. That's, that's strange. Paul said we're a strange people. We should be getting stranger as the days go on. So when Jesus comes to town, people get clear vision. Clear vision. Where you see people as he sees people. And I know, I know it's not a light thing to say because a lot of times, like in my life, there, people have been a, a source of pain in all of my life. Right? Childhood, all, all kinds of stuff. So we have that thing of like, I'll rescue a dog, but not a person, right? We're more, we're more apt to go to, a, to a, a, a shelter and get a dog out than actually like, you know, adopt someone. But we want clear vision, folks, clear vision. Mark chapter 5, Mark 5. Mark chapter 5. So what's happening in this, in this time is there's this young, this young man, and he's hanging out in the graveyards, and he is insane. Insane. They're shackling him. He's totally oppressed and possessed by devils and demons and all types of principalities. He is stronger than any human. They keep trying to shackle him. He breaks the shackles off. He is just like, man, everybody stay away from that guy. And I know some people, I know some people like that. It's like, God could save anybody but him or her? Oh, man. That is like, look at what God does. When Jesus walks into town. Verse 16 says this. Oh, let me start at verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. 
sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. So this man gets set free, put in his right mind where he was insane. I mean, totally out there, like gone. And Jesus comes, encounters this man, and sets him free, and starting with the mind. His mind was set right, so much so that the people that saw him were afraid and said, who, who could fix that guy? Who could fix that guy? See, a lot of times, and I, I, I'm including myself in all the stuff that I'm saying, a lot of times those people we want to push to the corners and say, like, they're a disruption type of thing. Not, in, not when Jesus visits. Not when Jesus visits. If you read, which I know a lot of you have, because of where your pastors come from, the course and the switchblade, Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz was, was violent, bloodthirsty, insane. And do you know he's preached to 60 million people around the world? All of his children are pastors and ministers and just good, godly men and women. Folks, that's what God does. He reaches out to everybody, but the cases that we're like, push these people to the side, God says, give me that one. Give me that one. I have a friend, I've been watching a lot of documentaries as of recently because I have a friend who is a saved man in upstate, upstate, and he's in solitary confinement. So I've been watching a lot of these documentaries about solitary confinement, what it does to your mind, what it does, what it does to you, it's really messed up. Now, I believe in, you know, we should pay our time to the state, but solitary confinement is like, it deteriorates your mind. That's what it's supposed to be. It breaks you down. It's, and then a lot of these men and women are just released right onto the street. And it's like, how do you expect them to, to function? Going from a closet with no light and just being slid. I mean, your only contact with humans is just being slid food in and out once, three times a day, whatever it is. Now, society looks at people that are in that type of lockup and says, forget it. Just, there's no hope. Run the place down. But you know what Jesus says? I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And that's why he says, I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. Because he delights in the cases that are impossible for us. Verse 16, and those who saw it told them how it happened to him. Who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with them. So this guy gets set in his right mind, gets set free, and says, Jesus, take me with you. Take me with you. I want to go with you. Wherever you go, and I want, to, I want to follow, I want to go. Watch this. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to tell your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So what happens? Very practically, what happens in this case? This guy's insane. Insane, society has pushed him aside, is scared of him, and rightfully so. Jesus shows up, sets him free, and then says what? Now you're an evangelist, go. Now you're an evangelist, go. And I want to tell you, there is no one in this place too far gone. There's no one that has done anything in this place that Jesus cannot forgive and make right. There's no mind in this place that Jesus cannot set free because the battlefield is the mind. It's the mind. We fight the war. A lot of times it's not outer war. It's inner. The war is here. But he sets you free and then says, just go and tell. 
Go and tell your family. Go and tell your friends what happened when Jesus came into that town, into your life, into your heart. And that's for you today, for you, for anybody, whosoever will. Whosoever will. Jesus will, he will do it. He will do it. Matthew chapter 4, last, uh, last portion. Starting at verse 17, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus comes to town, number one, repentance is preached. What is repentance? It's turning from your old life to a new life. It's turning from your old life. Guys, I have, no, I have no shame in saying because of what the Lord has done in my life. I was a lot, I sold drugs. I, was, I did drugs, liar, cheater, womanizer, manipulator, right across the board, all of it, all of it. Hustled the nightclubs, moved drugs in the nightclubs. Stuff I talk about, stuff I don't talk about. And I heard a message, something like this, turn. turn. Leave all that behind. All the sin and the shame, everything you've done, leave it all behind and follow me. And follow me. That is where the new life starts. You know, it's beautiful to come and, and be in God's presence and worship and all these wonderful things. But the point is, is that he just doesn't want to give you new songs to sing. He wants to give you new life. New life. They're in this place, people I'm looking at, there are, there are pastors, evangelists, there's, there's callings all over this place. There's a new life. Peter was, I'm going to guess, but a, he was a fisherman, a burly guy, probably cursed a lot, probably like a violent kind of a guy. I'm a fisherman, you know, the guy with the nets and, you know, just make my money, you know, whatever he did. Jesus shows up. And says, Peter, leave, that, leave all that stuff. That's nothing compared to what I'm going to give you and do for you and do with you and do in you and through you. We're still talking about Peter today. Still talking, 2,000 years later, we're still mentioning Peter's. Can you imagine if Peter said, no, you know what? I'm good with these dragnets. Let me, leave me alone, Jesus, with my dragnets. Because I'm fine with just catching fish and making my money and et cetera, et cetera. Jesus says to you today, leave it behind. Leave it behind. All the stuff that you think that makes you happy or the stuff you find security in, leave it behind. Leave it behind. Follow me. And you know what they did? They left everything behind. And they followed Jesus. And when he comes to town, this is what happens. 
People start rising up and saying, you know what? I see the beauty of, of, of Christ. I see what he did on the cross. I see what he promises me. I see the hopes of heaven. I see the brand new life. Brand new life. Clean slate. Peace with God that he can give me. And certain people rise up and they say, I want it. If it's true that I can become a new creation, all things passed away. Again, I say, roll your rap sheet out. The, the, the gentleman I'm talking about, unfortunately, his rap sheet is, I sat with him in court one day. His rap sheet has, he has a book. High classification. When he goes out, he goes alone. When he's moved from prison to prison or to, to the, the doctors, he goes alone and he goes with canines. He has canine clamps in his leg from escaping. To save man. To save man. The last time I talked to him on the phone, he was encouraging me. Who does that? Who does that? Who does? Jesus does that. Only him. So you can't sit in your seat today and say, well, you know, God, God knows. He knows, and he's prepared a way. You know, I believe God has spoken to someone in this place. Someone in this place that you've been halfway in. Or there's things you've done that have been, you haven't been transparent about. And today is the day that it's like, you know what, I'm laying it all on the line. I'm laying everything on the line. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's a journey of faith. You don't know where you're going all the time. Sometimes, again, we, we're in situations and we're like, where is God in this whole thing? David lays it out in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. He takes me through green pastures, still waters. through the. It's just this journey. It's this journey that ends in heaven, but it's a journey. You don't know where you're going all the time, but that's okay. He does. But, you know, I, I mean, go all in. Go all in. Even though you don't have all the questions, all the answers, you don't know it all. Maybe you're not the most scripturally, you know, you don't know the most scripture, neither do I. But I believe today is the day that it's time. It's time. If we want this, this, this town shaken upside down, folks, it's not just myself and my wife and Pastor Andrew and, and Pastor Crystal. It's the body. Everybody in. Everybody in. That's you. That's you. He'll take care of you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. And you can have peace with God today. Today. Remember the day that I had peace with God? I didn't have peace. I could sit up at night and spin my wheels of my mind. I had no peace. And then I said, Lord, forgive me. Give me a new life. Give me a new heart. Give me a heart of flesh that can feel and has compassion and sees people the way you see people. Cleanse all the stuff that I've done. Just get rid, throw it all into the sea. Don't remember it anymore. And he's done that. And I had peace in my heart. I sleep at night. The woman who sleeps next to me is here. She knows. I'm asleep within four minutes because I have peace. We're going to open up the altar. And if anybody has heard from God, but... The last thing I'm going to say is this. Don't come up here, and, and I don't want it to be just another altar call. 
I don't want it to be where, I don't want it to be where it's just like another, I'm just going up another Sunday with a hope for, you know, with a hope for this, a hope for that. No, I want it to be like, Jesus, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. Or I'm coming back to you. Or you know what? I have been 40% in. I have been, have, I'm all in. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, whatever you, wherever you send me, if you send me to Africa, Haiti, Zimbabwe, wherever it is, if you just have me to visit the nursing homes and sit with lonely people, if that's success in my life in your eyes, then I'm in. I'm in. But today is the day. Don't let this, the presence of God is here. Don't let it pass by because every time he speaks to you and you harden your heart, you know what happens? It's harder to speak to you. And then you go six months, a year with hardening your heart and then he can't speak anymore. And then you just do all the, all the stuff. You just go to all the meetings, but there's no, you can't speak anymore because the heart is too hard. If you heard from him today, don't harden your heart. here today and you do serve God, but you know, you know what, my tables are being turned upside down, and there's more, Lord. There has to be more because I feel it. There's more. There's something. Today's the day. Today's the day. last thing I'm going to say is that if you're feeling that if you, your heart, if there's a tug of war in your heart right now, guess what has happened? Just what I read. Jesus has come to town. He's come to town. And the first town he stops at is your heart. And then your household. He's come to town today. The front is open. If you want to pray, if, you, if you're ready to do business with the Lord, the front is open for I don't have to convince you because the Holy Spirit has already convinced you that today is the day.